Hello and welcome back to A Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Raven. Thank you, Mozart. I so appreciate it. Uh, I'm going solo tonight in as far as my engineer, Randy Fryer, is not available, so I'm pushing all the buttons myself. I should be able to do so after uh, years of being on the radio. Pushing a few buttons shouldn't be that difficult. Anyway, I'm very excited to have our guest today, uh, the author of The Intuitive Investor, A Radical Guide for Manifesting Wealth, Jason Apollo Voss, and we'll get to him in a moment. Uh, I want to uh, just remind you all that uh, this is an election year, and our economy is largely related to, correlates highly with the behavior and activity of our body politic. So especially in an election year, we will see the ebbs and flows of business activity on Wall Street and elsewhere very tied in in many respects to what's going on in the, uh, shall I call it, horse race, because ultimately that's really so much what it is. But I want to bring someone who is outside of the usual horse race between the Democrats and the Republicans to bear here, as I have done on prior shows, and we will have him on as a guest quite soon, and that's Rocky Anderson of the Justice Party. I've been working to get him on Steve Colbert, so it will be a larger audience than even A Better World, and on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, that is proving to be quite an effort uh, to accomplish, but I'm working on it nonetheless. And uh, Rocky Anderson actually has himself achieved quite national prominence back when he was mayor of Salt Lake City between the years of 2000 and 2008. He's an award-winning lawyer for some 21 years uh, and has a, a distinguished human rights record during those years and a green environmentalist record. So he is eminently qualified for... Uh, the work of an executive in the uh, in the executive branch of government, once having been a Democrat, realized that they were feeding from the same trough, so to speak, and decided as the Republicans and thought, this is not the way to a truly democratic uh, governance, and uh, opted out of that system and has been running now on the Justice Party ticket, an independent ticket. And for those of you who may not know, historically, the United States political system has really nursed some three to seven different political parties throughout most of its history. And even, of course, today, we have always several parties running, but it used to be a lot more ambitious uh, meaning that the other parties played a much more significant role. But since the Democrats and Republicans have had things kind of buttoned up and tied down as well as they have over the past 40 to 50 years, there's been very little evidence, uh, prominent evidence, of the other parties. The one exception in relatively recent history, was the appearance of Ross Perot on the scene where he managed to get in, by elbowing, no doubt, into the 
televised debates, and uh, it was a very interesting uh, effect he had for those of you who may have watched those debates. And he really, really positively, from my point of view, affected the outcomes there. And um, this is the kind of democratic dialogue I think we really want to see in this country. So I really recommend you go and inquire about what Rocky Anderson stands for. He reduced the carbon footprint of Salt Lake City, an otherwise extremely conservative city, and he did so within the course of some three years by one-third. It's a remarkable feat, and it sets a precedent for other cities across the country, and I would dare say that we would not be having the kind of economic difficulties and struggles city by city across the country that we're currently having if there were politicians uh, being as coherent and smart and uh, in respect to our guest today, I will say whole-brained in their approach to politics as Rocky Anderson. So I'd really encourage you to go to triple dot uh, voterocky.org or triple dot justicepartyusa.org or triple dot a better world TV where I have a series of uh, my interviews, a couple of interviews I've done with him on Progressive Radio Network as well as a video of him giving talks and interviews. All of that is on the lower right-hand column of the homepage. So I really do encourage you to uh, tune in and come to understand that that strong bond that exists between the legislative bodies of our country and what goes on in our economy. It cannot be uh, overestimated just how deep those bonds are and the reasons for that we can talk about another time. But right now I really do want to turn our attention toward our guest today who is a remarkable young man who has uh, achieved so much in a short amount of time and is bringing a new consciousness to the field of investing, one that I think the world of investing is clearly benefiting from, seeing as uh, his work as a portfolio manager uh, beat the NASDAQ by 77%, the S&P 500 by 49%, and the Dow Jones Index by almost 35% during his years of active trading. This is a phenomenal record, and anyone with any bit of, of intelligence would want to light up and see what in the world is Jason Apollo Voss doing. Well, he's documented a lot of that in his book, The Intuitive Investor, A Radical Guide for Manifesting Wealth. And he's just one of the most delightful, humane, um, loving men I have actually ever met, quite honestly. It's a delight to have gotten to know him prior to the show and I'm sure after the show. What's interesting is that his method is a very humane method. He's using the capacities given to us by our creator of a whole brain and nervous system, not just the left hemispheric linear mathematical function that we would think upon using we could make reasonable inferences and know what's going on. Well, 
you know, that does work up to a certain point, and then it kind of peters out. And Jason is here today to talk to us about what we can do to really use more of us to engage in the process of intelligent and even wisdom investing could be another way of putting it. Jason, are you on the line? Jason, are you on the line? Okay, let me try this. Jason, are you on the line? That was a very flattering introduction. Thank you. Oh, absolutely. There you are. Very good. Very good. I was I was scrounging for the right button to push, and eventually I got it, and I have the pleasure of hearing you. Good. Yeah. You're so welcome. You're so welcome. Well, you know, you are bringing something really novel and fresh to the marketplace, and uh, I really want to um, extol it because I think it's um, it's rich with virtue. And if our pocketbooks are the only thing that's rich, we're missing out on the uh, exciting game of life. Well, you know, interestingly enough, um, what you, you suggested that I have kind of a novel approach to things, and I spend quite a lot of time in my book talking about the fact that investing is actually to make a decision. We typically think of investing in one context and one context only, and that's to make money. And I think of any choice that we make in life to be an investment. You know, we have we yeah. put our reputations on the line, we spend our time, we spend our energy, we get vulnerable with our emotions, in addition to all the pocketbook-type issues. That is true. And what that means is that doesn't it make sense to bring as much consciousness to your decision-making as possible? And that's really what the book is about is, okay, because I have an investment background, it makes sense that I talk to you about investing in terms of you know, dollars and cents, but it also um, you know, can be generalized to this, like, let's be conscious about every choice that we're making. And so that, yes, that is indeed. definitely my approach. Yes, yeah, indeed. So, no, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Now, tell me, um, first start off, if you would, just listing some of, I mean, I did mention uh, the accomplishments you had. Why don't you tell us what the context was and what process you went through in making the decisions that you made? Yeah, my story began, and by the way, I was a non-believer, uh, and by non-believer of intuitive process <laughs> and of like sort of what I would call unscientific kind of uh, means when I began my career. I was a dyed-in-the-wool yeah. atheist and had been raised that way. And uh -huh. early on in my career, though, I recognized very quickly that all of the fact and, and uh, fact-gathering that I was doing, it didn't help me make decisions because facts, by definition, are things that occurred in the past but investing in folds in the future. And that yeah. means that every decision that we make is actually – from the gut or as an intuitive decision that we're making. And so the rest of my career, I kind of refined that process. And then post my career, um, you know, did even more refinement, which resulted in my book. Yes, exactly. I understand. I understand. So what, what inspired you to go this different route, if you will, in the domain of investing, since you were especially so atheistic, which, you know, I'm not you – know, there's this funny implication that to be atheistic means that you don't want to use the other side of your brain. 
I don't think so. <laughs> but, well, you're, you know, you're right. One could right? be it an looks... atheist and still be highly intuitive. You know? Sure. No, I, I totally agree with you. And in fact, you yeah. know, as as my sort of spiritual life and my investment life sort of unfolded together, I recognized looking backward that I had been a very intuitive person my entire life. So yeah. to the evolution, like what happened was – you know, I discussed the early days of my career when I recognized that there was no such thing as a future fact and how that led yeah, me to believe. that's a very interesting point, yeah. Yeah, and it led me to believe that, oh, okay, we've got to engage our emotions here. And so the first part of my process was let's explore emotions and the emotions and how they contribute to, you know, our investment decisions. And I spend part of my book uh, talking about the fact that there's a difference between um, emotions and feelings. And that was one of my first realizations. And that is yes. um, feelings are um, the raw data. So, for example, anybody who's listening this evening, if they were to tune into the temperature of the space around them, the temperature exists independently of an opinion. But if you ask most people, they'll assign a number to it. They'll say, oh, it's you know 70 degrees or whatever it is. But yes. that is not that's that's what it becomes an emotion because you put your prejudice on it in a particular way because you've evaluated something which was cleanly received to you in your sense you know in, in your sense of the world and so I spent a lot of my career like how do I strip out that process how do I just tune into the raw feeling of something so that mm -hmm. say I'm looking at Apple you know for example how do I feel about Apple how do I feel about the fact that Steve Jobs died. And, yes. you know, when you can strip away those emotional things, you get pure, raw, sort of what I'll call data. You know, it's feeling data yes. that you feel in your yes. body. And I started yes. then reacting to that. Are you that. saying that the emotion, the emotion sort of takes people out of the feeling where it, it's a, a super concentrated feeling in one direction? It under is. Under which is the feeling? Yes, absolutely. Thank you for summarizing. Uh, like I, I give an example in my book, which is somewhat yes. related to the temperature example I gave. Say two people go out on a day that's brisk and it's overcast and say it's even snowing, that even though the conditions are the same, two people can have a very radically different opinion of that day. One person can yes. say, oh, this is miserable, it's cold, I don't enjoy it. The other person can say, oh, I love these kinds of days because it keeps people indoors and I have a private moment with nature or whatever. But both of them yes. have engaged their emotions. The fact is, is the day is whatever the day is. And there is information there for us to you know, be able to perceive and make better investment choices from, such as, oh, gosh, I'll probably be cold, I should put on a coat kind of a thing. Yes. But yes. the point is is that there's an emotional prejudice. I prefer cold days. I don't like cold days, whatever. And as soon as yes. you've done that, you can't feel the truth of what is around you. Yes. Once you're lost in the opinion, you've lost touch with the raw data that you're referring to as feeling. No, I think that's very clear. Exactly. And, and honestly, it ties back to your yeah. introductory remarks about a third party in the U.S. We have yeah. two parties that are very opposed to one another, and the opinions are so strongly rooted that, frankly, yeah. the actual you know feeling sensation, which is we need you know we need some leadership here, is missing from the dialogue. Yes, exactly. So this, this manifests itself over and over and over again, writ large. You know. That's right. That's right. Exactly. We're we're really we're really caught in our own subjective framework, and uh, that delimits all of our decision making, which is what you're saying. Fundamentally, we're we're as humans, we're decision makers. We're, That's correct. You know, we're 
always we're problem solvers and decision makers, and we're also experiencers. We forget, you know, that's the base and the root of it all. You know, one of the things I feel your work has done, Jason, is you're giving greater credibility to, if you will, on and valence to the importance of feeling. Now, women have been saying this to us all our lives, you know, but how does it feel? And therapists, I should say. Um, So how does that experience feel? And to reach in and get in touch with that, and you well put it, raw data. It is data. It's just a different kind of data than digital data that is represented numerically, although feelings can be too. That's a whole other conversation. But to give proper place, in our human experience, including our human rational decision-making experience to the feeling of something, like you were saying about Apple, about Steve Jobs, that's very interesting. You know, how you feel about that sector, etc., will influence, tell how that folds, unfolds. Well, that process, I advocate my book very strongly. Meditation is the easiest tool for, you know, stripping away the emotional sort of prejudices and limitations as well as – and by the way, that is that is a rich rich field. I mean, I I have been meditating for most of my life, as you and I discussed when we we, yes, we have talked before. I've been meditating sure. since I was seven years old that I've been conscious oh, of. But here's the thing: everybody as is, an atheist, has been that's particularly interesting. <laughs> well, well, and I didn't know that that's what I was doing though. And this is just the thing: uh, is everybody yeah. each day has a meditative state that they achieve, whether it's their exactly. you know on the subway to work here in New York City and. They sort of, you know, check out of the subway realm, and they're all of a sudden in. Okay, what do I need to do realm? Or, yeah. you know, they're they're analyzing something else. That's a meditative state, even though people don't tend to think of it as being that way. And so, in my You're book, totally I spent right. a lot. Yeah, so yeah. I spent a lot of time telling people and you know giving support to people that hey, look, you don't have to be a meditator, as in shaven-headed cave dweller, in order to do this. <laughs> You just have to recognize that this is a natural brain function, acknowledge it, make a little time for it, and then you can start to strip away some of the emotional prejudices and then get to the juicy stuff, which is how do I feel about Steve Jobs dying, you know? Yes, exactly, exactly. You know, uh, I I should bring this up, that in Tibetan, uh, there are two descriptions of meditation. One is the idea of eyes cast down or closed, following the breath meditation with all sorts of uh, mantras and yantras and all sorts of things, mandalas that can go with it. And then there is the other form of meditation, which is actually just another word for concentration, which is another way of saying that is focused attention. And you do not have to be a capable. You don't have to shave your head. It has nothing to do with it. You could even be wearing a suit and tie as long as the tie isn't too tight, sitting in front of a computer on Wall Street or anywhere else you happen to find yourself. And focused attention is, as you said, meditation. So in reality, we are all doing it in one form or another routinely. That's now, correct, yeah. I'd like to jump into the domain that is very much a theme of this show, Jason, which involves uh, socially conscious uh, investing and businesses for social responsibility. I, I have often said that it is the business mind and business activity that has brought us to the very brink of disaster right now, what with the um, <clears throat> nuclear power on the rise yet again, even though all the facts 
show that it is highly dangerous, highly polluting, and we saw what happened in Fukushima. We see that uh, the power of business has turned our world into a military zone. We see all sorts of things of a world that most of us really do not want. It's really the very few who would want a world like that just for the sake of their pocketbooks. There's a whole other way that we know to conduct business. So I always say it's business that's brought us to the brink and it's going to be a shift in the business mind and the consciousness of the, of the business leader that's going to bring us back and set us on a path of harmonious sustainability. Could you comment on that and what it is you see as an investor and having been deep in the world of, of business from an investment point of view, having managed billion-dollar portfolios, what you see in this light? Well, first of all, I agree with you. And for me, the primary issue is one of time scale. And that is one of the reason why, reasons why nuclear power can be considered is because people have the inappropriate time scale for evaluating something like that. In other words, they, they're simply looking at 20 to 30 years out and the you know possible consequences. And what's not been factored in is what is the ultimate, and by ultimate, I mean the absolute effect of nuclear power on the planet and on humanity yeah. and the other you know living organisms that we share the planet with. Yes, exactly. And so this shift, it, you know, many people in the green movement and the conscious capitalism movement of which I, you know, consider myself a part, you know, get very apoplectic and very, you know, frustrated, you know, that there isn't greater progress being made. But I actually think that the shift is one that's fairly easy to make because it's a very subtle shift. And that is, you know, to get business leaders to stop riding their sort of capitalist bicycle staring at the front wheel and instead look further out into the horizon. And yes. that and that means incorporating, you know, long term decision making, long term ramifications into those decisions. And then coupled with that, and it's very you know, it's very integral to this process, is there has to be an acknowledgement of we can't anticipate the long-term consequences of our decisions today. So, for example, if we go back to the late 1900s, or I'm sorry, the late 1800s going into the 1900s, probably if we knew what we did now about the pollution caused by, you know, carbon-based fuels, you know, oil-based fuels, we yes. probably would have priced them higher or not used them at all. We would have looked for mm -hmm. some other alternative. But the fact is, is nobody could imagine the full ramifications ramifications of that choice on, on the world. Yes. And so yes. people used it and 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 used it until the point we're you know, at now where we have kind of a polluted world and we're running out of options fairly rapidly. Yes. And so that should be a case in point to business leaders that, oh, we need to take a more long-term view. And consequently, we need to be a little bit more cautious and conscious about how we use our resources. So for me, that's, yes. that's where the heart of the issue lies. Yes, yes, yes. I, I agree. I mean, I would like to think that um, business leaders back then at the turn of the 19th into the 20th centuries would have, uh, if they were to have known those consequences, would have not gone for the short-term um, profit, but for the long-term benefit. I, I like that idea. When you kind of peer in to the world today, and I agree with you, by the way, and that's a very important point. I say this to people all the time. The shift in consciousness, the opening of the aperture to a new way of doing business is really a very small shift. 
it is not it is a very human shift it's the one that says how can i help you instead of i want everything for myself you will actually not find in human psychobiology that latter choice very often i'm here just for myself the hell with everybody else it's not human to be that way we are actually wired um neurologically to be of service to each other and sometimes service is opening up a door for somebody sometimes it's giving them their seat, your seat sometimes it's creating collaboration in business where everybody wins there are just so many ways for neighbors to cooperate helping each other grow a garden you know uh paint a house you know whatever it's this is old-fashioned stuff what do you see in this regard jason with the upsurge of green technology and uh, the sustainability movement of conscious capitalism in business. What do you see? Well, before I, I do that, I want to address, uh, you know, support your point. One of the things that I talk to people about all the time is this cooperation aspect of consciousness. Yes. The yeah. competitive aspect has been done, and it's not yeah. that it's not valid. It's just that it's just one solution to you know a po amongst a possible set of solutions. Cooperation is one of them, and the irony in the business world is that cooperation exists writ large, and it exists in the form of the corporation. Believe it or not, even though these yes, entities indeed. think of themselves as you know competitive enterprises, they actually are some yes. of the largest cooperative. Um, you know, groupings that have ever, ever been yeah. imagined. And yeah, so right. at a certain point, again, we have another subtle shift that has to happen. But more and more people have to have a conversation with business leaders and say, are you aware that you actually are cooperating already with the, yeah. you know, to General Electric with the 300,000 employees that you have, um, you yeah, know, for right. – for example, and once they start to realize that cooperation is okay and it leads to profitable outcomes, more and more people will start to do it. And honestly, to your point about green investing, um, th there's a lot that's missing in green investing to capture you know, the attention of a lot of people. But I feel if we address some of these bigger issues that we've just talked about, cooperation and changing the time scale, then a lot of this stuff will be more obvious to people and there will be greater support. Because what we're really talking about is a recognition of the interdependency of people, you know, and their environment, along with you know their neighbors yeah. and what have you. Um, yeah. And I'm happy to talk about specific things in green investing, but I, I think that it's a natural outcome. Green investing, quote unquote, will become just investing once we make these shifts in consciousness. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. 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 I think that's a that's a fair thing to say. I think okay. it is. What. Um, it, when you look at the different sectors, so to speak, of the marketplace, do you see that this is one that is gaining ground? Well, it is. Um, but, you know, it, I have a couple of friends uh, who very much specialize in green investing, and our opinion is it's still at its nascent stage. Now, the crazy thing is, is for those of us who have been tracking this kind of stuff our whole lives, and I, I was raised in a household where, you know, you thought about, you know, the consequences of your actions, this sort of green notion has been around for, you know, if you go back to the mid-1800s, it's been around for 100-plus years. If you, you go bet. back to the 
business aspect of it, it's been around for 40 plus years. So it seems like yes. how can you say this is at the nascent stage? But the fact is, is most people out there still don't have an appreciation for how they interact with and how they with their environment and the you know the consequence of their choices upon the environment. So, in terms of like actual sectors, um, the the ones that are particularly obvious, of course, are wind and solar technologies. But less obvious are things like how do we make things more efficient? So there are logistics companies out there that specialize in creating software so that supply chain management, that is how you get goods from the manufacturer to you, the consumer, sure. how you sure. make that more efficient can can be the, one of the great green technologies. And there are quite That's a few right. firms out there that do the logistics stuff of it. Exactly. And then you have, you know, of course, um, water technology, which is one of the big ones that's going to go forward. Water has been free. Yep. Desalination is one, and water has essentially been free for all of humanity. But yeah, but the nature of it is, it's not going to be free going forward. Um, and exactly. the reason why is because so much of it is polluted. We're going to have to start to pay to have it be clean. And uh, so, so that, those are some areas you know that capture my attention and my interest. Yes, exactly. Listen, uh, believe it or not, until we learn how to manufacture time as well as we manufacture money, uh, we're going to have to leave it at that because we've run out of it. So uh, we've run out of clean time, purified time. I want to really thank you. It's unbelievable how quickly that went while I was having such a good time with you. Jason, I want to really express my appreciation of your good work, and I want to just encourage you to keep it up. Thank you, Mitchell, and you too. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks so much for joining us. This is Mitchell J. Rabin for A Better World. Thanks so much for joining us. Visit us at our website at www.abetterworld.tv, and I look forward to seeing you all next week.